Okay, we're continuing together our study in the subject of the covenants, and we are now moving into the subject of the study of the Davidic covenant. And we began that study last week, and we saw that the Davidic covenant was first uttered and established in 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, verses 14 through, I believe, verse 18. And um, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, when God makes this covenant with David, we don't see uh, anything in that chapter that would indicate uh, that it was a covenant because there's no um, oath-sworn promise there. And the word covenant is not used, and there's no swearing of an oath. So the, the question arose, why would we say this is a covenant? Well, we went on, and we looked at 2 Samuel 23 and verse 5, and we saw there that David himself understood and declared that what happened in 2 Samuel 7 was a covenant. And then we went to Psalm 89, and we saw on no uncertain terms that God himself refers to this particular event and he says that <clears throat> he has made a covenant with his chosen. He has sworn to David, his servant. And then he quotes part of what's in 2 Samuel 7. Um, thy, thy seed will I establish forever and build up thy throne to all generations. Okay. And then we saw further in Psalm 135, the Davidic covenant was also um, declared, or Psalm 132, pardon me that the uh, Davidic covenant was also declared there. So uh, based on subsequent passages of scripture, we can now go back, which we're going to do today, to Second um, Samuel 7 and look at those, those, those statements in terms of being a covenant. Okay, so let's turn then please to Second Samuel chapter 7 in, in your Bible. Now in 2 Samuel chapter 7, <clears throat> we'll start reading at verse uh, 12, and we'll read down through verse 16, 12 to 16. Now David has subdued all of his enemies, <clears throat> the kingdom is united, uh, he wants to build a house for the Lord, he wants to build the temple, right? And... Um, and uh, we see that God said, no, you're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build one for you. And um, <clears throat> verse 11, and since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee a house. Okay. Now we begin the uh, statement of, of the, the covenant. Verse 12, and when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thine own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. 
Thy throne shall be established forever. Now, this then is the Davidic covenant. And this is where we find the most detail about it, though there is some additional information added uh, later on. Uh, it's, it's relatively minor. This is the vast majority of it. And so we see that this covenant is made with David and his royal seed. In particular, it encompasses the seed that comes out of David's body. And of course, uh, we know this to be Solomon, and then we know this to be uh, all the descendants of, of David and Solomon as they sat on the throne. And ultimately, of course, we know it to be the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the covenant is made with David, and included in that covenant is David's royal posterity, who spring from David, and who will also exercise rule over the people of God, rule over the people of Israel. So the recipient of this covenant is David and his royal seed. It's not made with the children of Israel in general. It's David and the kings that will descend from him. All right. So that's pretty clear. He says, I will set up thy seed after thee, verse 12, which shall proceed from thy body, and I will establish his kingdom. So David and his royal seed, all right? Um, then we want to ask ourselves, having seen who this covenant is made with, we want to ask ourselves, what's the substance of it? What are the terms of this covenant? And basically, there are three terms to this covenant. First of all, there is the establishment of his throne forever. David's throne is going to be established forever. Notice verse 13. He shall build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Verse 16. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. Three times, right? He says forever you're going to have a, a, a throne. And um, it's, it's never going to end. It's just going to go on uh, for eternity. Um, the second thing that's promised here is that the king of Israel is regarded in a special way as the son of God. Okay? The king of Israel is regarded in a special way as the son of God. Now notice he says, Verse 12, and when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which will proceed out of thine own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now here it is. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. And so God says in, in a unique, special way, your descendants are going to be viewed as my son. And uh, we're going to see how that develops in particular in relationship to Jesus Christ, who is, in fact, uh, the son of God. All right. He's God's firstborn. And then the third thing that's promised in this covenant is that David's descendants would build God's house. Okay. And so he says in verse 13, he... That is, the king that proceeds out of your own body, he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So these are the three promises then that are here in the passage 
The throne is going to be established forever. The king of Israel is regarded as the, as the son of God in a special sense. And David's descendants are going to build God's house. So that's the essence and the substance of the covenant. Now, what we want to do then is see how God fulfilled these promises. Okay, how did he fulfill the promises? Well, he fulfilled the promises in three ways. Uh, the promises of the Davidic covenant are fulfilled, first of all, in the life of Solomon. All the things that are promised are fulfilled in Solomon. Secondly, the covenant is fulfilled in the succession of the kings of Judah, a whole series of kings that proceeded out of uh, David's body. And then thirdly, it's fulfilled ultimately in the coming of the person and in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, first of all, it's fulfilled, of course, in the life of Solomon. God told David that he could not build God's house because he was a man of war and because he had uh, a lot of blood on his hands. And so he said, your son is going to build the house after you. He says, you can prepare the materials. And he did. So that when Solomon came along, all the building materials were there uh, pretty much. Uh, and he just had to, had to actually erect the structure, which he did. And of course, it took a lot of years to build that. But ultimately, what we see is that with reference to um, these promises that uh, David's throne was established uh, in Solomon, that uh, Solomon was recognized as God's son, and that um, uh, he built God uh, a house. Um, secondly, this promise is fulfilled in conjunction with the kings of Judah. Now, we're not going to take the time to go through uh, the chronicles of all of the stories of all of the kings. But suffice it to say that after Solomon um, died, Rehoboam, his son, was king in his stead. And as a result of his tax policy, the kingdom became divided. And the northern ten tribes were called Israel. The southern two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, uh, were called uh, Judah. And um, the... the uh, the descendants of David sat on the throne of Judah and other people sat on the throne of Israel. And the point is, is that um, Israel had many, many, many different dynasties. And we said last time a dynasty is where uh, a man is king. And then uh, when he has a son and he's king and he has a grandson and he's king, that's called the dynasty. That is where you have the rule of a family line. Well, if, if somebody from outside comes and kills that king and sets himself on the throne, that's the end of one dynasty and the beginning of another. And sometimes a dynasty lasted one generation. You know, a king got there and, and then he was bumped off by somebody else and his son never even got to sit on the throne. Well, the point is, is that with reference to Judah, the southern kingdom, there was only one dynasty during all the years of that kingdom before the captivity. The sons of David exclusively sat on the throne of Israel. And uh, so for all those years, um, God preserved his promise to David. And uh, David's sons did, in fact, sit on the throne 
of Judah until the time of the captivity. And um, however, in Israel, the northern kingdom, they had a wide variety of kings and uh, they never uh, did have any kind of an extended uh, dynasty or, or dynastic uh, rule uh, in, in Israel. Now, <clears throat> let's turn then, please, to um, Psalm 89. And we want to begin to see the fulfillment of these promises in our Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 89. Now, I want to read to you this entire psalm so you get the thrust of it, all right? Psalm 89, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Thy faithfulness shall thou establish in the very heavens. Now he begins to describe God's faithfulness, right? Verse 3, I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David my servant. Thy seed will I establish forever and build up thy throne to all generations, Selah. And so what we see here is we see the declaration of the Davidic covenant. And now he's going to talk about God's faithfulness in relationship to the Davidic covenant. All right. He says, verse five, and the heavens shall praise thy wonders, O Lord, thy faithfulness also in the congregation of the saints. For who in the heaven can be compared to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened to the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. O Lord God of hosts, who is a strong Lord like to thee, or to thy faithfulness round about thee. Thou rulest the raging of the sea. When the waves thereof arise, thou stillest them. Thou hast broken Rahab in pieces as one that is slain. Thou hast scattered thine enemies with thy strong arm. The heavens are thine. The earth also is thine. As for the world and the fullness thereof, thou hast founded them. The north and the south Thou hast created them, Tabor and Hermon shall rejoice in thy name. Thou hast a mighty arm, strong is thy hand, and high is thy right hand. Justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thee. Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. In thy name shall they all rejoice, shall they uh, rejoice all the day. And in thy righteousness shall they be exalted, for thou art the glory of their strength. And in thy favor, our horn shall be exalted for the Lord is our defense and the Holy One of Israel is our king. Now, what has he just been doing? He's been talking about God, right? He's been talking about how great and mighty and powerful and undefeatable God is. Okay. Now he's building a case here. He's saying, okay, God, uh, you swore this covenant and here's who you are. You are the mighty God. All right. Verse 19, then thou spakest in vision to thy holy one and said, I have laid help upon one that is mighty. I have exalted one chosen out of the people. Here it is. I have found David, my servant with my holy oil. Have I anointed him? You remember Samuel anointed him, right? <clears throat> with whom my hand shall be established. My arm also shall strengthen him. So now we're, we're getting in the Davidic covenant again, and the promises God made to David and all the stuff God's going to do for David. All right. The enemy shall not exact upon him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. 
And I will beat down his foes before his face and plague them that hate him. Did that happen? You bet it did, didn't it? But my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him. And in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand also in the sea. That's the Mediterranean Sea. And his right hand in the river. That's the Jordan River. Or even over the Euphrates. And he shall cry unto me, Thou art my father, my God, the rock of my salvation. Also, I will make him my firstborn higher than the kings of the earth. So David is now declared to be God's firstborn and higher than all the kings of the earth. In other words, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So immediately, you know, our ears prick up because we know the New Testament and we know that Jesus is um, God's firstborn and we know that he's the king of kings and Lord of lords, right? Okay. Verse 28, my mercy will I keep for him forevermore and my covenant shall stand fast with him. Now, people, there's a reason why all this is being recited. The psalmist is leading up to something and we're going to see it in a minute. All right. His seed also will I make to endure forever and his throne is the days of heaven. Now, we recognize all this language, right? It's coming straight out of 2 Samuel 7. And if his children forsake my law and walk not in my judgments, if they break my statutes and keep not my commandments, then will I visit their transgressions with a rod and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. My covenant will I not break nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne is the sun before me. It shall be established forever as the moon, and as a faithful witness of the heaven. But. Now, as you can see, Psalm 89 is just an expanded exposition of 2 Samuel 7. Verses 14, verses 12 through 16, right? Okay, that's all it is. Just an expanded declaration of not only the terms of the covenant, but the God of the covenant. And, 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 he, and he lays out before the face of God all of God's covenant promises. He says, now God, you promised this, and you promised this, and you promised this, and God, this is the kind of God you are. Right? He says, but, verse 38, Thou hast cast off and abhorred. Thou hast been wroth with thine anointed. Thou hast made void the covenant of thy servant. Isn't that quite a charge? God didn't keep his covenant. Thou hast made void the covenant of thy servant. Thou hast profaned his crown by casting it to the ground. God, the crown you said would endure to all generations. It isn't enduring. Thou hast broken down all his hedges. Thou hast brought his strongholds to ruin. Now, when did all this happen, folks? When Babylon invaded, right? Okay. It happened when uh, Nebuchadnezzar came and conquered Israel and sacked Jerusalem and burnt the temple to the ground and hauled all the children of Israel off to Babylon. And that's the story like of Daniel, right? Okay. When he's taken and, and he's in the palace and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay. 
And then, of course, you recall that under Ezra and Nehemiah, a remnant came back and, and built the temple again, right? He says, verse 41, All that pass by the way spoil him. He is reproached to his neighbor. Thou hast set up the right hand of his adversaries. Thou hast made all his enemies to rejoice. Thou hast also turned the edge of his sword and has not made him to stand in the battle. Thou hast made his glory to cease and cast his throne down to the ground. The days of his youth hast thou shortened. Thou hast covered him with shame. See law. Now here's the question. How long, Lord? Wilt thou hide thyself forever? Shall thy wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. Wherefore hast thou made all men in vain? What is he, man that... He, what man is he that liveth and shall not see death? Shall he deliver his soul from the hand of the grave? Selah. Lord, where are thy former loving kindnesses which thou swore unto David in thy truth? See, there it is again. God, you swore. You swore a promise. Why aren't you keeping the promise? Verse 50. Remember, Lord, the reproach of thy servants. How I do bear in my bosom the reproach of all the mighty people. Wherewith thine enemies have reproached, O Lord, wherewith they have reproached the footsteps of thine anointed. Blessed be the Lord forevermore. Amen and amen. And so he's not finding fault with God. He closes with blessed be the Lord. But he's saying, God, I don't understand here. You made a promise. It appears you've broken your promise. What gives? And when are you going to fix it? So God made a promise to David. The promise was that... Um, God would establish his throne forever. The throne at this point in history is not established. And uh, the throne, in fact, is occupied by Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> and uh, Israel doesn't have a king and won't have one for 70 years. And even when they go back to the land under Ezra and Nehemiah, they don't have a king. And, and Nebuchadnezzar or his descendants, Cyrus Darius, are still ruling over them. And, um, and so for the next 400 years after that, they never do really have a king. I mean, you know, Judas Maccabeus rose up for a little while and threw off Rome or whoever. But um, the bottom line is, is that they were always under foreign dominion from that point forward. And when Jesus was born, did they have a king? No, they were under foreign dominion. So the question is, how long, Lord, before you put the son of David back on the throne? Now, Let's turn to Psalm 132 for an explanation. In Psalm 132, it says, reflecting on this same time period and situation, Lord, remember David and all his afflictions. How he swore unto the Lord and vowed unto the mighty God of Jacob, Surely I will not come into the tabernacle of my house, nor go up to my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find out a place for the Lord, a habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. And this is just a reiteration of what was said in Second Samuel 7, verses 1 to 3. Verse 6, Lo, we heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the field of the wood. We will go into his tabernacles. We will worship at his footstool. And so God did build his kingdom, I mean, pardon me, his temple under Solomon, right? 
Arise, O Lord, into thy rest, thou and the ark of thy strength. Once Solomon's temple was built, Solomon prayed this big long prayer, and he says, God, come and inhabit your temple. We've, we've got the ark in there. It's all sanctified. He sacrificed a thousand bullocks. He, he made the big prayer right, and the Shekinah glory of God came and indwelt the temple. That's what it's referring to. Okay? Let thy priests, verse 9, be clothed <clears throat> with righteousness, and let thy saints shout for joy. And they did. For thy servant David's sake, turn not away from the face, turn not away the, the face of thine anointed. For thy servant David's sake, turn not away the face of thine anointed. The Lord has sworn in truth unto David. Here's the Davidic covenant. He will not turn from it. Of the fruit of thy body will I set on thy throne. Well, that's familiar. We've heard that from Second Samuel 7. If thy children will keep my covenant, here's the condition. If thy children will keep my covenant and my testimony that I shall teach them, their children shall also sit upon the throne forevermore. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his habitation. This is my rest forever. Here will I dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. I will also clothe her priests with salvation, and her saints shall shout aloud for joy. There will I make the horn of David to bud. I have ordained a lamp for mine anointed, and his anointed, of course, is David. His enemies will I clothe with shame, but upon himself shall his crown flourish. Now, once again, this is a declaration of the Davidic covenant, all the blessings that flow out of it, but notice it says in verse... um, 12, if thy children will keep my covenant and my testimony that I shall teach them, then their children shall also sit upon the throne forevermore. So with reference to David's um, physical descendants, God says, if they keep my covenant, then there will be an unbroken successions of kings on that throne forever. But of course, they didn't keep the condition, did they? The kings... The descendants of David became so corrupt and so wicked and so evil that God finally sent Nebuchadnezzar to invade the country, defeat Jerusalem, sack the city, burn the temple, and haul everybody off. And as a result, um, the, the, the throne was cast down. So this explains Psalm 89. The reason why the succession of kings from David broke and there wasn't this everlasting succession like he promised, is because in that promise was this condition. And as applied to the physical seed, the the physical seed of, of David, they had to keep the covenant or they would lose the throne. Well, remember Solomon, uh, right off the bat, uh, blew it pretty bad when he married all those wives, right? And he started worshiping idols and stuff. And as a result, the kingdom was divided under his son Rehoboam. And so the kings had a much smaller kingdom to rule. And there were the ups and there were the downs and there were the defeats and the victories. Uh, but ultimately, they had Manasseh. And he was a bad, bad, bad king. 52 years he ruled. Very evil king. Uh, and under him, Israel was carried away into captivity during the time of Isaiah. And... Um, um, in God's mercy, he got saved when he was in captivity. 
Um, but in any event, the kingdom was, was really taken away. And after that, there were some, quote, kings that sat on the throne, but they were just puppets of Nebuchadnezzar. They were administrative vassals. They weren't kings um, because they didn't have sovereignty. Um, they just had to do what they were told. So this is why the succession could be broken because there was a condition with reference to these physical descendants. Now, um, but this doesn't mean that God has ended his promise of the Davidic covenant. He is going to establish a king on the throne of David again, and thus our memory verse. That's our next verse we want to look at. Turn to Isaiah 9. In spite of the fact that Israel lost the throne, God is going to remember his Davidic covenant, and God is going to establish the throne of David once again, Uh, in fulfillment of that covenant. Because not only were there conditional elements in that covenant, there were also unconditional elements. And uh, the unconditional elements, of course, are fulfilled in the person of Jesus. So for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Uh, He's born as a child of Mary. He's given as the pre-incarnate son of God. Okay, so his humanity and then his deity. And the government... What government is that? It's the government of the throne of David shall be on his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince. Don't miss that. He's going to be a prince and he's going to be, have government. He's going to be the Prince of Peace, but he's going to be a prince. Verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. He's going to have a government. Okay, It's going to increase. And what did our memory verse say? You know, I will build up thy throne to all generations. It's going to increase and increase and get bigger and bigger, right? Um, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order. So Christ is going to sit on the throne of David. He is going to be the ultimate fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. Uh, to order it and establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth for how long? Forever. Because Jesus will keep the covenant. You're not going to be like Manasseh, right? And so he's going to sit on the throne of David forever because he's going to keep God's covenant forever and ever and ever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. God is zealous to keep his covenant. He will not be charged with covenant breaking. And he will keep his covenant. And so when God promises something with an oath sworn promise, mark it down, he keeps it. And even when it appears that he's not keeping it, Psalm 89, right? He's keeping it. Don't ever think God doesn't keep his promises because of short-term appearances. In the long term, every tongue will confess God kept his promises. And that's the good news. You can lean on the promises, take them to the bank, know they'll never let you down, even though it may appear for a little while, sometimes 400 years, that they're not being kept. All right, our time's gone. We'll pick up here next time. Father, we thank you so much for the fact that you are a covenant-keeping God. And even if it seems like you're not keeping your covenant, we know you are. And so, Lord, we thank you that you kept the covenant you made with David in the person of 
not only Solomon and Solomon's sons, but also with Jesus, who is the son of David. Father, we thank you for him, and we pray that as we continue to unfold this covenant and its promises and its fulfillment in the New Testament, that you would bless our understanding of the wonder that you have provided us, not only with a prophet and a priest, but you have provided us with a king. And Lord, we're grateful for our King David, our Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.